Before we get to the show, I want to make sure you know about our podcast, Making Marketing. It's a show where Shireen Patak talks to the biggest names in the marketing world about their business decisions. Check it out. It's on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Anchor.fm. Or you can go to digiday.com and learn more. Hello and welcome to DigiDay Live, our podcast where we bring you the best sessions from our many summits around the world. I'm Aditi Sangal, and today I have a session from the DigiDay Retail Forum. When the luggage brand launched, the plan never included retail. It was going to be an e-commerce business. But then they opened and tested a pop-up with no KPIs, and that turned into a retail space that was wildly successful. Away's VP of Brand Marketing, Selena Calvaria, will unpack how Away is flipping traditional brand and retail strategies on its head, from social media, partnerships, brick and mortar, editorial and more, to reimagine the travel experience for people all over the world, ultimately inspiring more people to plan their trip with Away. Listen in. Kind of experienced very, very quick growth. I know a lot of that has had to do with word of mouth, and there's been a lot of kind of um, Instagramming and a lot of kind of influencer marketing there, but I think physical retail is kind of like that next step. And I want to talk a little bit about how you made that happen and what you've learned along the way. Yeah, I think what was super interesting is when the brand started, um, really the beginning of 2016, um, the initial thought was that there would be no role for retail. Like, it's direct-to-consumer, and we want this to be an e-commerce business. Which is kind of like a common internal thing. Totally. And so, um, as a test, uh, we opened a pop-up in Soho, and to try and kind of understand what demand was, and honestly, there were no KPIs on it, which I think is good to approach some projects that way, because it it allows you to not have, you know, there's no expectations, and then they're either wildly surpassed, like what your mental expectation was, or or not. It's a good way to manage your boss, in general. Yeah, that's true. I have no expectations (laughs) from this. Totally, but I think um, I think it was really smart because with that it allowed really to like probe and listen to customers and not be overly focused on like specific performance, but really like what is the experience we're really providing because it might be different than actually what we thought we were selling. Mm-hmm. So what was interesting it was that the store didn't just become a retail space, but it became a community space, mm-hmm. and we wouldn't have guessed that if we had just treated it like like sales floor. Um, so that pop-up was wildly successful, and so we decided to actually go into retail. Um, what's been really interesting about retail for us is, is a number of things, but the first being that we're finding that brick and mortar is actually driving online sales in the geographies in which we have those stores. Okay. So we're actually seeing that the stores are driving over performance relative to the trend of the rest of kind of the other cities that don't have stores. Okay. Um, so it's actually not only driving awareness, but it's driving like that next layer. We're seeing repeat purchase coming through store. We're mm-hmm. seeing community building coming through store. And this is based store. on kind of geographical data. So if you've got a store in this area, that area tends to have more yeah. people buying. Yes, okay. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're only today, we're in New York, we're in LA, San Francisco, and Austin. Okay. Um, but there are other cities that we're looking to expand to um, in the future. But it's really that combination of that, that online experience that people have been seeing and then to experience it in the offline. They get to see the products, they get to touch the products. They may have bought their first piece online, they come in, they buy more pieces mm-hmm. um, at retail. It really serves as a place where um, we can brand build. 
And so then people get to start to have like a much stronger feeling of what the brand is for. Um, we think of it as like a combination between experiential and kind of out of home mm -hmm. at the same time. Um, and it's really become a community driver. So retail programming is something that is now really um, part of the store strategy. Okay. And that brings in our community to talk about travel stories, to hear panelists, to um, exchange like different cultural ideas and mm -hmm. different, different moments with one another. And so that's just taken it to the next level. Um, so what started out as a test with no KPIs has now, it has lots of KPIs, um, but it's really achieving more than I think what the original yeah. concept was. Let's talk a little bit about kind of, you know, people that are coming into your stores and the data you're getting from those people and then using that to then whether to make product decisions or marketing decisions and how those two kind of play together. Yeah, so um, one of the number one things that I tell everyone on my team, on the marketing team, is that you need to go work in the store. Okay. Um, because you get to speak to customers firsthand and really see what those questions are, things that you didn't even anticipate, um, and then how can we work that into our marketing. So for example, one of the biggest questions that we will get in store is what's the difference between the carry-on and the bigger carry-on? It's bigger. Yes, but okay. they want more than that. Okay. Um, and so I, I am not hired. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what we then do with that is like, okay, that's an interesting question. So what can we do um, on our website in order to make the difference so much clearer mm. so that customers are able to convert faster because they're not worried about which decision to make or they don't have to then call customer service mm -hmm. or they don't, make, they don't buy the wrong item and then have to return it. So we like take those questions and put them directly on web. Okay. Um, we also then use those types of questions um, on Instagram. So a lot of our stories are really based in answering questions that we're seeing customers ask in store. Okay. Um, so one of our most highest performing Instagram stories is how to clean your bag. And that seems like something really simple, but that comes directly from people in the store. When they see a white carry-on, they're like, this has dirt written all over it. So how can we anticipate those questions and help people um, make better decisions? Tell me a little bit about kind of the marketing team, because I know, because after this I'm going to talk a little bit about sort of your editorial yeah. operation, which I know is separate. So let's start with your marketing team. How big, what kind of people, how does it work? Yeah, I think our marketing team um, is really multifaceted. So we do have, we have a growth marketing team um, and a brand marketing team. So I think that's something that um, sets a way apart from a lot of other uh, direct-to-consumer businesses, which is from the very onset, it's we need performance, but we also want to brand build. So things that aren't necessarily um, ROI, but ROE. So like what's your return on your brand equity and your affinity. And so we, from the very beginning, building brand marketing um, has been really important. So on our team, that is our entire organic social team, um, developing all the content in-house. Um, that's our full influencer marketing team. And that's partnerships and experiential. Um, and then kind of, I'd say my other side, my right side would be um, our full service creative team. Okay. So between growth, between brand and creative, it's really like a muscle um, that we put behind everything so that we aren't doing one thing on one channel and another thing on another channel. We're really telling a really cohesive story. And do you work with external agencies to do creative? Do you do anything with other people other than sort of obviously yeah. influencer partnerships? No, we actually do everything in-house. So okay. there might be a really special project where you will talk to someone outside. Um, but we have a huge team that is able to handle uh, the volume uh, of content they're okay. putting out. Was there ever a question of, okay, you're, you're really big now. Like, you know, you haven't just started, there's a lot of people, just a lot of creative you're putting mm -hmm. out. 
hey, should we get somebody else to do some of this for us? Ever come up? Yeah, I mean, I think part of the secret sauce is that the people who are working and building the creative actually are in-house and experiencing the brand day to day. There's very little separation between um, them and the product and the brand. Mm -hmm. And I think that makes um, understanding voice, understanding visual identity, um, understanding like how and when and where we communicate to people, we're mm -hmm. so much closer, closer to it. Um, and they're obviously very creative and talented. So I think marrying those two has been really successful. I've worked um, with many agencies in the past and I think getting the tone of voice and the visual identity and all those pieces right takes a really long time. Mm -hmm. And I think with us, with the, with the volume of content and the way we want to talk to customers with the one-on-one -on -one dialogue all the time, um, our in-house team is able to, to do that the best. Um, and now I want to sort of talk a little bit about kind of editorial, because yeah. that's sort of a big part of your operation. Um, and I think a lot of people might not even know about magazines, so maybe start there and then we'll go on. Yeah, so Away has a full independent um, media division uh, called Here Magazine, and it's the first um, kind of property within that. And I think similar to um, our luggage really occupying a white space in the, in the, in the travel market, um, when we surveyed the travel editorial um, landscape, there was also white space for someone talking from, instead of um, top 10 reasons to go to Japan, or like these kind of lists and more kind of expected narratives, it's really about storytelling. Mm -hmm. And from like a first person point of view in a brand voice that you can trust. Okay. So Here Magazine is a full, it's print and digital. Okay, and it uh, makes you money? And it makes us money, okay. um, which, is, which is incredible. Um, it's also really separate from Away. So we, we sit in the same building, we're occupying the same white space. There's, very, there's similar um, tone of voice and some type of visual identity, but ultimately we see them as being separate. I think when you have a branded kind of content um, operation, um, it's not seen as authentic mm -hmm. or as independent um, in terms of the storytelling. And here, it's actually um, completely independent, completely objective. Yeah. Well, the um, idea has been for that content to, on some level, eventually tie back to that product. Yes. Does it tie back to the product at all? It does. I mean, we, we will promote their stories, because their stories okay. are ultimately the context in which our luggage lives. Right. Um, but as far as being promotional, it won't be that. OK. So how does it make money? We have. Um, Sorry, I'm very intrigued <laughs> no, by how this media is great businesses make money, obviously. Um, we actually have advertisers okay. who work with us, and we do um, a lot of special projects. And I think because the way here has been built is not kind of the traditional approach that other media companies mm -hmm. have taken, gives a lot of flexibility. So there's there's experiential tied in, there's content partnerships tied in, mm -hmm. um, all of that sits within here. So yeah, there are actually companies that are <laughs> that are buying advertising space on here. Um, what do you sort of see, kind of stepping almost away, away from away for a yes. little bit, um, what is sort of the biggest challenge right now for retailers that are, you know, started as DTC brands, um, some of them are starting to kind of do more than DTC, they're starting to go into, retail, go into department stores, whatever it is, but what is the big challenge as you see it for the industry? Um, that's an interesting question. I think for me, it's really easy to say that I want to scale and I want to grow by going to third parties by starting to wholesale. It's the fastest way you can reach more people, um, kind of with the flip of a switch. Um, I think when you end up going to, to third-party retail, um, 
you lose some control of the brand message, the brand experience, mm -hmm. um, the point of sale and the way your merchandise might not be exactly how you like it. Um, you don't get, you're not part of a brand world, you're part of that retailer's world. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it can be seen as really tempting for a lot of direct-to-consumer brands to start to go into those third parties mm -hmm. because of that scale and the, obviously the money that's there. Right. Um, but I think we've thought really critically about that channel and we want to stay with owning the full like end consumer experience. Mm -hmm. But that might mean, obviously, that would mean that there are some customers you're just never going to reach. Because there's always going to be some people who are just never going to be comfortable coming online or even just coming to a store. And they're just people who just, I shop at Walmart and that's it. That's just my life. And that's okay. So yeah. can I leave some of those customers on the table? Yes. I'll never say never, but okay. I think there's a lot of other ways we can try and reach mm -hmm. um, more customers than by going through third party. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk a little bit more about kind of exactly your, you know, marketing mix. I know that obviously Instagram is a very big channel for you. Um, where else kind of do you spend your money? Um, and where, is, where do you spend money that people might find surprising? Ooh, that's interesting. I'll think about the surprising one. But um, I think when, when we think about spending money, um, it really is a mix between growth and brand. Um, so again, it's really easy to track every dollar that you put into acquisition channels like paid social and, um, and other kind of programmatic um, channels, I think we invest money in brand. So that means experiential, that means uh, with our partnerships, um, that means with influencers. Um, and then our organic social really kind of feeds off all those paid channels, kind of drive to our organic social, which then drives to web. Um, so that is kind of the, I would say the more kind of basic way that, that everyone spends money. Um, but I do think the brand building piece is unique to us. Um, we also are experimenting more with out-of-home placements. And as we think about out-of-home, not really just being only for awareness, but also for PR. Okay. So when you have a piece of out-of-home, the type of content you put there can actually be a story in and of itself. Okay, give so, me an example. Yeah, so we did Times Square, um, which was a heroic effort, 48-hour um, turnaround on behalf of our creative team, which couldn't have done that if it was an agency. Um, and what we did is um, we said Times Square, so we looked at the context. This is probably a, a group of people who do not know what a way is at all. Mm -hmm. And the best way we thought to come to speak to them was to show the luggage really in context. So we used all UGC in Times Square. It was nine different panels. Um, and that in and of itself drove earned media because every influencer was then supporting what was there. Um, and then it was just really innovative that this is like a really big brand statement to be in Times Square mm -hmm. and you're not even using the creative that you created. Mm. Um, and so that really shows the context and the stories behind our, our bags yeah. that it's not just about the bag itself. There has been though like a resurgence of kind of out of home with like young startup-y DTC companies overall too. And even though, I mean, I, and I think a lot of them kind of freely admit to, you know, the issues. I think Hillary was talking about this earlier on stage, but, um, you know, it's very hard to tell with conversions. And yeah, you can put a promo code on it and, yeah. and kind of track some stuff, but it seems to be, but it still seems to be really, I don't know, exciting for people. Why do, why do people certainly like out of home so much? I mean, honestly, I think there's earned value to it mm -hmm. that is really different um, than other channels. Um, it's interesting, in our Bond Street store um, in NoHo, um, the number one kind of source that you heard about away was from the subway. 
Okay. Um, so I think you also have to think about the types of placements where people have really like captivated attention. Mm -hmm. So when we think about um, a, a train, that's really interesting. You have someone who's on their commute for like five to ten minutes um, per stop, like looking mm -hmm. at something. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that feels like a much more captivated audience than perhaps like an interstitial ad somewhere else where you just like kind of keep swiping through. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we have to balance between what intuitively feels like it's gonna return to the business, even if we can't die, tie like direct dollars to it, um, and things that are proven to work. And that's kind of the art and the science, the brand and the growth kind of working hand in hand. Cool. Okay, we have a few minutes for questions. Ms. Selena. Questions? No questions? Hi there, big fan. Um, I read somewhere that half of your employees are dedicated to organic and social creative. Is that true? I wouldn't say half our employees, but for between brand and growth, that is close. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Is that unusual? Is that sort of an unusual mix? Um, I, not in my experience, but okay. yeah. What would you say is kind of the most important ingredient that you need to successfully have an in-house team, both on the brand side and the paid media side, um, for you guys that a way to continue innovating and like communicating and making sure that everything happens in a cohesive way? Yeah, I mean, I think that <laughs> that's a good question. And I, um, that was definitely Jen and Steph from the very beginning where like, we're gonna take this all in-house and we're gonna hire the best people. So I think it sounds cliche, but the people are everything. Um, I think with our teams, it's also a mix of like young, um, young and more experienced. There's old blood and new blood constantly there, so we're always challenging each other. Um, something great that actually Steph said to me yesterday was, if we did it that way last week or last year, we're not gonna do it that way ever again. Um, so I think it comes from the top, which is really um, to constantly challenge our way of thinking, that we don't use templates, we don't repeat ourselves, that we constantly have to be disrupting what we can do in market, and I think that mindset really permeates the organization, so. Um, Hi, how are you? Um, really appreciate your time. I'm Peter, I work for a CPG company, and we have this difficulty between the balance of like resource allocation on brand and resource allocation on uh, ROI channels where you can track immediately, you know, performance uh, marketing. If you have a dollar, how do you deal with that resource allocation uh, between brand and performance? Um, my rule of thumb, and I used to work in CPG, was like 65% performance and the rest in brand. Um, I think Performance, you know where every dollar is going, obviously in brand you don't, but there's ways that you can do really strong brand building um, activations that actually don't cost a lot of money. So I think sometimes when you have too much money to spend on things, you lose your creativity. Um, and so when you know I have this set amount of money towards brand, um, it really makes you like think, oh what, like maybe I can find someone free to do that, or maybe like I'll be the model, or like whatever that is, not me, someone else. Um, but. You know, I think when you, you know what to spend and how to spend it, 
I think then you make smarter decisions and you actually, um, the earned media value that comes out of that is, is tenfold. So I would say 65-35 is generally from a dollar standpoint, but then you need to make those, that 35% like work much harder than 35%. There's one more up here. Wow, okay, that's awesome. All right. Hi. Um, I would like to, how is the growth uh, marketing team uh, structured and what kind of profile do you have compared to the brand marketing? Um, so the growth team is set up, um, I think pretty traditionally, but it's, it's acquisition, retention, um, data analytics, and actually insights today sits on our growth team, mm -hmm. which is really interesting that um, I think that there's a lot more there that we can find from, how do we like actually go through the data and find real insights from it instead of just reporting on the data, which um, is interesting. I think the profile of that person versus brand, I think is really someone who's a marketer with a bias towards analytics and towards data versus someone with a bias more towards um, kind of like creative and um, kind of qualitative. If I had to summarize it into um, someone who does insights, it's like the qualitative might sit with the brand marketing team and the quantitative research would sit with the growth team. Um, I do think to be a great marketer, you actually need to be both. Um, so I'm something on my brand team, I'm trying to make them be more quantitative and the head of growth is trying to make that team like have more of the art. Um, and so I think today there's really like they are our profiles, but I think for the future, I think people need to have both. That's all for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you liked our show, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Anchor.fm. You can also tweet at me. I'm at Aditi Sango. Stay tuned. We'll be back next week with another episode.